Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is my partner in crime, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, it's almost here. Packers Vikings slated for noon Sunday kickoff at Lambeau Field. It is Friday, our final show of the week, and that means keys to victory. So we can start on the offensive side, the defensive side, whatever direction you want to go, but where do you think the Packers need to succeed to come out victorious here on Sunday afternoon? Very easy answer to this, Mike. You cannot let the Minnesota Vikings rush for 172 yards. Uh, it's going <laughs> to be the biggest thing. And I know that's going to sound somewhat like a joke, but at the same time, there is some relevance to that. The Atlanta Falcons, it was one of the rare things that you see in this game in 2019 where the run game completely dictates the tempo of the entire football game. And as you illustrated earlier this week on our shows, other things happened. There were takeaways. There were situations that unfolded that allowed Minnesota to win in the way in which they did. But ultimately, it came down to the fact that they just ran roughshod all over them on the ground all day. Yeah. You and I have both talked about different aspects of this run defense from last week. Uh, obviously, I had the story on Packers.com talking about how the Packers went with more of an unconventional 3-3. Three, three, Five look, got that right this time. Nicely done. Uh, with going with the five-man front throw and one true inside linebacker and then just a bunch of you know, defensive backs, and they asked them to tackle, and they did. Right. As you also illustrated in one of your stories, B.J. Goodson now gets involved in this defense. It sounds for talking to Matt LaFleur and also Mike Pettin that he could very well have a role in this defense, particularly in the early down situations against Minnesota. So whatever concept the Packers run with here, containing Delvin Cook, to me, is the prime primary objective because even though Kirk Cousins is a all-world quarterback, you know he's a franchise quarterback, all those different things, and they have an outside weapons. If you allow Delvin Cook to start dictating what you have to do defensively, it's going to be a rough afternoon. Yeah, and I say exactly the same thing as far as a key to victory on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm going to say it this way: based on the evidence from Week One against the Atlanta Falcons, and obviously that's a small sample size. But this Vikings offensive line is a better run-blocking offensive line than a pass-blocking sure. one. Yeah. So it sounds kind of crazy to say that you actually want to turn the ball over to Kirk Cousins when he came into Lambeau Field last year and threw for 400 yards and a bunch of touchdowns, right. you know, especially late in the game and all of that. But frankly, it, you know, Mike Zimmer is putting together – the type of offense that he wants to play. He's fought with his offensive coordinators in the past about not running the ball enough. He wants to run the ball and play defense. So if you're going to beat this Minnesota Vikings team that is really starting to take the shape that Mike Zimmer wants, you're going to have to get them out of what they want to do. And that's not to say that Kirk Cousins and Stephon Diggs and Kyle Rudolph and Adam Thielen are going to be an easy group to stop if you turn the game over to them. But I'm with you, Wes. You cannot let Dalvin Cook dictate how this game goes, and uh, and if that starts happening at Lambeau Field, the the Packers are going to have to adjust. Whether whether you're going to try Raven Green next to Blake Martinez as an inside linebacker, or go with the new guy right. B.J. Goodson, or work Ty Summers in there, whatever you're going to do, you've got to find a way to not let Dalvin Cook dictate things, and then the Packers' defense settles in. Use the pressure that uh, the steady pressure you got on Mitch Trubisky. Get after the quarterback in that way and see if you can uh, come out victorious. Yeah, and the other thing of this, the way to look at it as well is that you know Jerry Alexander and Kevin King and the the resources that they have in the secondary. I think in some regard you have to trust them to be able to handle Thielen and to handle Diggs, and that's easier said than done. Sure, I totally understand that, but 
you go back to another thing you were mentioning earlier this week and that, you know, the way Kevin King was playing before that lower body injury crept up on him against Minnesota last year, the different uh, permutations of this defensive core that you can use, particularly at that second and third level, this is going to be a big test for those guys up front. So whatever that secondary can do to lessen that load uh, and take away that dimension of the Vikings offense is going to really be beneficial. And to, to close this all out, the other thing I wrote in Insider Inbox this week is, you know, a fan had asked, and it was a pertinent question about, okay, what you know, what do the Packers still have left to show? You know, given some of their offensive things that happened in Chicago, I mean, is there going to be different things that they didn't get to, different concept, different scheme? You know, that they're going to be able to unveil as an unscouted look. And I said that's totally plausible. But also the Minnesota Vikings are going to be in a very right. similar situation with their passing Exactly. Game. With only 10 pass attempts on film from week one, I was talking to Tremont Williams about this in the locker room yesterday after practice. They don't have a lot to go on in terms of the 2019 right. Vikings passing game because Cousins only attempted 10 passes against the Falcons. Yeah, and Preston Smith now, who is in his fifth NFL season, he said he can't really remember going into a game after a quarterback had only thrown 10 times. So. Yeah. This is going to be a, a real chess match, I think, in that way, seeing exactly how the Packers' pass game matches up with what, on the opposite side of the ball, you know, Minnesota wants to do and, and who's going to win that battle. But again, getting back to my original point, I think it starts up front. I think it starts with shutting down Delvin Cook and being able to really show that, you know, we're not going to allow you to run over us the way that Atlanta did. Yeah, and then you mentioned having kind of that trust in Jair Alexander and Kevin King. If week one is any indication of what the Packers can do in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback, you trust if you're if you're putting the Vikings into passing situations, you're trusting that you're going to continue to get that steady pressure and not let Kirk Cousins sit back there. Yes, and then the other thing that I like, and again, it's only one sample size. I totally get that. Yeah. We're going to, and that there's going to be 15 more weeks for this defense to prove itself. But the one thing that I really took away from that game against Chicago is that these guys can rush and get after the quarterback without forsaking their assignments. I mean, there were so many times in the past it seemed like guys would jet rush, interior linemen would jet rush, but then a gap comes open, an opportunity you know, presents itself. The way they were able to suffocate that pocket with Mitchell Trubisky in it, and now this week you got a quarterback that is probably less mobile than Trubisky, they need to keep that pressure going. So yeah. whether that's the Smiths, whether that's some of the blitz stuff that you know Mike, or I almost said Mike Zimmer, Mike Petton has been wanting to incorporate, Dean Lowry, Kenny Clark, it's a full boat approach to the way in which you have to actually attack this this Vikings passing. Yeah, game. and when you're talking about that jetting up the field and abdicating other assignments, right. that's when you're vulnerable to the screens and the draws. And, and the Vikings, for what they have done offensively against the Packers in recent years, they always seem to hit them on a screen pass yep. for a big play because guys are too anxious to get after the quarterback. And that's something with this new defensive front, some of the new pieces here, maybe that changes. And as much as you and I can talk about the sack totals, the quarterback hits, the pressures, Darius Smith had 10 or whatever, Let's the, the thing that is not going to be as gaudy or not as flashy that people want to talk about is the Packers just played really fundamentally sound football right. against the Chicago Bears, and then the results were what they were after that. Yeah, well, on the offensive side of the ball, as far as a key to victory, I, I kind of look at this as a uh, almost a reverse chain reaction because for me it starts with being able to convert on third down because as we talked about two for 12 not good enough well how do you convert more on third down well don't get in 10 plus quite so much because yeah. six of those 12 were 10 plus well how do you avoid getting into 10 plus it's by running the football well on first and second down so that chain reaction takes us back to 
this Packers running game needs to get going and needs to produce more than it did against the Bears. Unequivocally. Uh, and that was something that Nathaniel Hackett was sort of talking about when he came to the podium on Thursday discussing, you know, kind of some of the issues they had right off the bat trying to run the football. He mentioned it. The question was asked if he felt like if they were able to maybe do make some of the headway that they did in the second half right off the bat, how much of a difference it would have made throughout the course of the game. And he agreed it would have been a significant one. Uh, they did. They were able to carve out those yards. I think, you know, Aaron Jones finished with 39 rushing yards. That might not seem like a lot when you look on the outside looking in, but when you look at that first quarter, the negative 12 yards or wherever they started, mm -hmm. it was progress. So th I, I still stick to what I said before the Chicago game because the job's not going to get any easier. This is still a really good run defense. It's a great defense in general. So it's going to be about making sure that you can get opportunities where Aaron Jones touches the ball and he has open field in front of him. Whether that's as a pass, whether that's as a run, I thought some of the concepts they did in the second half, some of the, the ways in which you know uh, Jones was able to set up runs and hit his cutbacks, that's where you want to get to. And then certainly incorporating Jamal Williams into that plan as well. Because as Aaron Rodgers said, and I mentioned it when he, in the, yesterday or whatever with the conversation he had with John Kuhn, they're going to see some really good defenses in this NFC North. So I don't want to sit here and say, well, okay, well, Denver's next week or Philadelphia's the week after that. No, yeah. you want to be able to get it done now yeah. and make your life easier against Minnesota, especially starting at the season at home here. Yeah, well, when you look back at week one and the Packers running game, Aaron Jones in the second half, he did have, I believe it was four carries in the second half that went for five, six-plus yards. Yes. You'd obviously like to see some of those earlier in the game so you don't end up with a first quarter like the Packers had at Soldier Field. But it's an illustration of how important it is to still, and if your defense is keeping you in the game, you still need to stick with the run and keep trying to pound it in there because eventually, yeah, some of those runs you're going to get six yards, you're going to get five yards, and you're going to put yourself in the right down and distance situation to let Aaron Rodgers go to work. Exactly. And in you know, we've always discussed this. You go back to 2014 during the, the prime of Eddie Lacy's career. Right. You go back to, you know, Ryan Grant. When the running game is there and keeping defenses honest, that's when things really, truly, you know, hit maximum function here for the offense. It's when Aaron Rodgers can really pick apart a defense. So uh, I think we've seen shadows of it, you know, shades of it with Aaron Jones when he can get going. Certainly you go back to that game that Jamal Williams had last year against the Jets. He played a big role in that comeback and being able to mount the momentum that they did. Definitely. They've had those moments. It's, I think, the key now. And I think over the course of the season, they're going to have moments again. But doing it against the top echelon of the league, that's going to be the biggest key for this season, not only this game. And I just feel like this is one that you want to get started with. Yeah. All right. Well, We'd be remiss if we exited this week without talking about uh, the celebration that's going to happen at halftime of Sunday's game against the Vikings, and I'm talking about a tribute to the late Bart Starr, who passed away earlier this year. I know on shows earlier this year we talked, we gave some reflections on, um, on Mr. Starr. The Packers wearing a number 15 decal on the back of their helmets all season long this year in, uh, in memory of of star just a tremendous individual i'm i'm really excited just to uh just to see the tribute and to be able to do something like this in front of the eighty thousand fans that are going to come to lambeau field because you and i west we've been at plenty of games over the years that when bart star was able to come out of the tunnel whether it was on alumni weekend like this one is or whether it was for brett Favre's 
number retirement, his number being added to the facade of Lambeau Field on that rainy Thanksgiving night, whatever time, any time that Bart Starr has come out of that tunnel, the cheers from the Lambeau Field fans have really been something else. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, the fans get to enjoy kind of one last moment uh, in memory of Bart. I'm going to do a little bit of a story time here with Wes Hodkowitz. I hope that's okay. I'm Absolutely. Gonna take this probably a little bit off the rails, but uh, to me, and you're right, the crowd is always just completely went wild for Bart Starr. You want to ramp up a crowd, get Bart <laughs> Starr out there, they'll be with you. There was a reason why Brett Favre wanted him back with him in 2015, right? I mean, just right. The, the relationship, the history. But this is what always stood out to me about Bart Starr. And it goes back to not even, I'm not even talking about the alumni weekends or him coming back and holding a flag and, you know, revving people up. It was when he would come back to Lambeau Field. Like, in a media standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember there was instances where he'd come back and it'd be part of a, you know, a promotion or, or some kind of, like, you know, just, just a small thing that maybe people didn't even know that he was there for. And where I want to tie this back to is I'm lucky to still have one of my grandparents alive, a wonderful woman who I love very, very much. When Star would come back, and I remember talking to Mike Vandermoss about this, it was almost sort of like your grandparents sort of coming over, you know, when you're eight, nine, ten years old. Sure. And just that feeling that you would get when they're there and they're hanging out, you know, and, you know, you're telling stories, maybe playing some ball with you or something like that. I always got a very similar feel whenever Bart Starr was in the building. And it's hard to explain. I don't even know if I'm doing a good job of it. But there was just this feeling that everything was right in the world. And he did that. He carried that torch for this organization for so long. So many generations have been affected by him, impacted by him. And when you look at the impact that him and his wife, Cherry, made, Bart Jr., everybody at the Bart Starr Foundation, I said it earlier this spring. I mean, that's that's a legacy. That's something that past your lifetime will continue to resonate with generations to come. Fathers in well, you know, mothers will talk to their children about what he meant and what he represented. And I think that's really special. Yeah, I can't say it any better than that. So appreciate your thoughts there. Before we go here at the end of the week, Wes, other games, week two in the NFL. If you start in the NFC North, the only division game is Packers and Vikings, but the Bears on the road at Denver and the Lions at home against the Chargers, both trying to avoid 0-2. Well, I guess for the Lions it wouldn't be 0-2 because they're 0-0-1. But both teams trying to avoid going winless through the first two weeks of the season. It's weird in this this whole gamut of the NFL how it just always seems like if a coach leaves and gets another head coaching job somewhere else, they always end up playing that team (laughs) the next year, right? Yeah. Like Vic Fangio was sort of the innovator, helped renovate that defense. And this is an AFC-NFC matchup that only happens once Once every four four years, years. but it happens the first year that Fangio leaves Chicago and goes to be the head coach of the Broncos. And I'm sure it's no surprise whatsoever that it just so happened (laughs) that this got scheduled for Week 2, but the fact (laughs) that this ended up being on the 2019 slate I think is really funny that you have Vic Fangio now after everything he did last year with, with those defensive players in, you know, Khalil Mack. And now he's going to be talking to his offensive coordinator, you know, discussing how you need to, you know, attack these guys. Yeah, Basically yeah. fighting a mirror of yourself. And certainly Matt Nagy's going to have a great vantage point on, on what Fangio does with his defense in, in 
you know, Denver. So that's going to be a great matchup to watch. Uh, certainly two 0-1 teams. I mean, one of those is going to be 0-2. I think I always talk about that this time of year. But um, I know Denver's going through slight rebuild, but the fact that they traded for Joe Flacco tells you that or I should say whatever it was, signed Joe Flacco, yeah. tells you that they still feel like they can contend this year. So that's going to be one to, to follow to see exactly how all those pieces fall into place. As far as the Lions, even though they're at home, I think they have their work cut out for them. Uh, just based on you know, the Chargers and Phillip Rivers have been up and down over the years, but it just seems like they found their rhythm again based on what happened last year. Yeah. And that's going to be a tough out for the Lions. Yeah, I think that is going to be a tough a tough home game for Detroit. And obviously those two AFC West teams are teams that the Packers are going to see later in the season. Denver obviously coming up right away for Green Bay. The rest of the slate in Week 2, we all know where it starts. It's New Orleans at the right. Los Angeles Rams, the rematch of the controversial NFC championship game from a year ago. Different location, be out in L.A. this time instead of at the Superdome in New Orleans, but both teams 1-0 and expected to be contenders once again, and this is the, the big rematch from last January. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I actually thought this would dominate headlines a little bit more this week. It doesn't really seem like it has. Yeah, it seems like it's been quiet as far as the national media attention on this game, and maybe it's just because it's too early in the season for, for the, the storylines to, I to just generate. Th- I just thought, like, you know, with it being – you know, how last year ended and the controversy with that play. I mean, they made a rule basically based on that play. Yeah, they, they changed, the, uh, changed the replay review system based on one play in a playoff game. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, it's, it's really interesting to watch and to see exactly what the Rams, you know, can do this year. I, the Rams remind me of that title contender, right, that has this, you know, incredible, miraculous run and gets the shot you know, at the champion, yeah, and then just gets completely flatlined in the first round. And seeing how they build themselves back up here with a young team for the most part, a young core, uh, that's going to be my number, you know, one of my top three things to watch this season. As far as the Saints are concerned, you always know what you're getting with them. That is as steady as a program as there is right now in the NFL. You know where their strengths are. You know where their relative weaknesses are and seeing exactly where those two things meet and if they can make another run here 10 years after their last championship, it's going to be fun to watch. And just seeing the ramifications and implications for this conference, a lot is going to be decided in the NFC West this year. I think the Mm -hmm. NFC North is strong, the NFC West is strong. I could very well see that being the two divisions that are vying for those wildcard spots at the end of the season. So games like this, especially with the Saints pulling off the win that they did last week, has a lot of... You know, a lot on the line with it. Yeah, it could be. Uh, we'll see. You never know in September football in the NFL, but it could be a pretty high-scoring game if the weather is good in L.A. and everything between those two offenses. A couple other NFC games I've got my eye on, Wes, mostly involving the NFC East because Dallas is playing at Washington, and then Philadelphia is playing in the uh, NFC South at Atlanta. But the Dallas-Washington game, I bring it up just because – Dallas started with a division win last week over the Giants, and now they're going on the road to D.C. to play Washington. If you win, the much same situation the Packers are in, if you win your first two games of the season, both against division opponents, and you start 2-0, and and you've got those two pelts on the wall, so to speak, from your own division, that makes everybody start to take notice yeah. right away. And with regards to the Eagles at the Falcons, the Eagles with uh, a strong comeback at home after falling behind Washington last week. They come back and win 
Atlanta trying to recover from what really was a debacle of a week one for them yeah. in Minnesota and a Falcons team that a lot of people are wondering, are they ever going to get back to where they were in 2016 when they were on the verge of winning the Super Bowl? Suddenly they've got a, a really good Philadelphia team coming into Atlanta and the Falcons trying to avoid 0-2. So this is season four of the show that we've been doing, right? Yeah, That's where I think we've, so. we've worked into it so far. And we've been doing the, you know, breaking down the games, looking at a little bit of a preview going into the Sunday games for the last, you know, however many episodes. I'm sure Marvin knows upstairs. Is it just weird? Like, the Atlanta Falcons always have the hardest schedule in the NFL. It never seems like, <laughs> and I'm not making excuses for them. They didn't play well last week, and they got, you know, no. their butts handed to them for it. But it just always seems like, hey, they didn't have the, you know, the 2016 Cleveland Browns coming up the next week. It's like they always have yeah. to be back on their A game. The Philadelphia Eagles, man, we can talk. You're absolutely right about the Dallas Cowboys. I think there's a lot of momentum right now. I mean, if they get Dak uh, Prescott, uh, Prescott, Prescott's, <laughs> contract done here in the next couple weeks yeah that's that's a big issue i think that's gonna be like if they actually get that done during the season they're gonna be floating on cloud 11 uh <laughs> i mean it just because of just you you saw just the way they played with with zeke being back on the field and yeah i watched that whole game it just seemed like they had a real incredible energy about them on both sides of the ball so for the eagles perspective they have to keep up with that so mm. If you're Philadelphia, if you're Doug Peterson, I think you got to go in there and you got to put on the film of what happened last week, the Falcons, and you say, Jordan Howard, Darren Sproles, whoever you want to throw at him, we're going to run it down their throat until you can prove differently. Right. Because that's when you put that on film, you hear it time and time again. You know, that's where teams are really going to try to hit you. Yeah, definitely. And that's another opponent. Packers are going to see the Philadelphia Eagles at Lambeau Field in a primetime game before September's even out here. NFC, so. You know, I was just talking about the NFC West and then obviously the North, but that whole NFC this year, man, this is a strong conference. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of games here that are decided early in the season that are going to ultimately be in the difference between playoffs and not playoffs for a lot of teams. Yeah, no question about it. Well, with that, we will sign off on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and of Sunday's home opener against the Vikings on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, if you will, on Twitter. He's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.